Well, it's good to be back. Um, the three months we were able to spend such an amazing time uh, because of Father Cameron and uh, Scott, our senior warden, and all of those who came together to really just uh, make things uh, move along in, as they have done. So very, very blessed and thankful for that time. While I was gone, um, I worshipped in a lot of different places. Um, first time, we were the first week we were with my uh, brother and sister-in-law in a small village in the middle of England and went to the local church there, um, small in number. It was a very early service, and it was from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. So our right one service on steroids, as it were. And uh, so we were really bad into Elizabethan English. And, um, and then um, also we were visiting some friends in Croatia. I know not one word of Croatian. Uh, it was a very small village. There were two churches in the village, a very small one that had some absolutely magnificent frescoes from I think the 1200s that they just uncovered a few years earlier under whitewash. Um, so I did manage to go in there, but the larger church, and I thought, this is a huge basilic church. There's a Roman Catholic congregation. Um, it, we're going to be, you know, just a few of us in there, and I'm not going to understand a word of what's going on. Uh, but actually, apparently, people come from all of the local villages to this church, which had been renovated and um, beautiful inside. And so I thought, well, I'll probably recognize some parts of the service. So we stood for the first hymn, and, um, and the bars started, and then it went into it, and we were singing, glory, glory, hallelujah. <laughs> Seriously, it was a battle hymn of the Republic, but I have no idea what the words were. It was evidently Christian words and everybody, but so I could sing along with that one. And then, of course, we, we got in and I could tell where the Lord's Prayer was. And so I was kind of, you know, saying that each um, quietly in English and then the peace and everybody passed the peace to each other. So, you know, this liturgy that we have um, just transcends language and denomination. And then at the end, there was another one I recognized. It's an old Casio hymn that normally we sing. Um, I don't know that we've sung it here, but when it's sung, it's oftentimes sung in Spanish. It's Tu has venido a la Some of you who've done Casio um, might recognize it. So I could sing along with that one as well. You know, it's wonderful when you can participate participate in worship in that way. And then I did a pilgrimage through six different cathedrals in England and uh, got to each of them in time for Evensong. And there were local children's choirs, Winchester, boys and girls choir, which is absolutely phenomenal, Salisbury. And then also end-day services at both Salisbury Cathedral and Durham. And some of them do it a little bit differently. There are certain parts of the service that are different, um, but the liturgy is the same, and the focus is always the same. Because worship is about praising, glorifying, adoring, honoring God. 
We are not the center of worship. God is the center of our worship. It is always about setting apart time in our week to give all of who we are to honor the one true and living God. So the worshiper is never the focus of these gatherings that we have. Our hearts and our minds are to focus just on God. Now, we can have some preferences. We might prefer right one. We might prefer right two. We might prefer to put part of the service here and part of it at the end. But when those preferences become rules, then we're no longer honoring God. And that's what worship is about. It's not about whether we like the music or this particular song or that particular song, because if we tried to do that, we'd go crazy, wouldn't we, Brad? Because everybody here has a different preference for music, a different preference for the way things are said. But it's not about our preferences. It's about giving ourselves over to glorifying God. And this is really what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Romans. He says, our preferences, predilections, convictions about non-essentials of the faith We can't make those into rules because once we make them into rules, then we set up a wall of judgment and we judge others according to our preferences. Or we, even worse, condemn others because of our preferences and they're not following along with the way we think it should be. Those are the non-essentials of the faith. And Paul says, come together in unity. His particular thing in in Romans is about food and festivals. He says one person believes it is right to eat anything, but another believer who has a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who think it is all right to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. You see, it's not a question of they're not wanting to eat meat, that they're not meat eaters. It's the fact that this congregation in Rome consisted of Jewish converts to the faith and Gentile converts to the faith. Well, the Jewish converts to the faith used to the food laws in Leviticus and having uh, the meat specially prepared in a kosher way For those who are perhaps new to the Christian faith, they were worried that they would not be honoring God if they ate meat that was not correctly prepared. And Paul said, that's not wrong. If they want to eat vegetables... If the reason that they're doing it, if the reason that they are abstaining from meat is to honor the Lord. See, that's the focus. Are we honoring the Lord in what we do? Meanwhile, the pagans, 
um, they might not be too sure whether or not the food that they were getting had not first been offered to idols in the pagan temples. And so that food would be tainted because of all what else went on in those pagan temples. And so to honor the Lord, they would abstain from meat so that they were honoring the Lord in that. And Paul says that's not wrong if they're doing it because their desire is to honor the Lord. And then there were others who'd maybe been a little bit longer in their faith, and they remembered what Jesus said, that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the heart. And so there was a freedom in the gospel for them that it didn't matter how the meat meat had been prepared, where it had been, Because that was not going to defile them. Because there was a freedom in Christ that Christ had given to them. And so they would eat whatever it was. Neither was that wrong, said Paul, if they ate to honor the Lord. But, said Paul, If their freedom in eating any kind of food was to make another stumble in their faith, then that was wrong because that was not honoring the Lord. Paul says, I know and I'm perfectly sure on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong then for that person, it is wrong. And if another Christian is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, there's nothing wrong with these things in themselves, but it is wrong to eat anything if it makes another person stumble. See, preferences in the non-essentials, I stress that, non-essentials of the faith can so easily become church rules. You know, I've been into churches where there's a certain kind of a pull or a decoration and nobody knows why it's there. But you cannot move it because it's become sacred to that place. There's no rhyme or reason for it but heaven forfend that it should be moved. We can do that in so many different nation and judgment. And this was what was happening over food and over the celebration of different festivals. Why do you condemn another Christian, Paul asks? Why do you look down on another Christian? Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. So don't condemn each other anymore. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not put an obstacle in another Christian's path. Well, I don't know about you, but I think we live in an era where more and more there is condemnation and judgment about things. 
especially on the internet where we've lost those communication cues of our language, of our tone, of the way, our posture of our bodies so that we hide behind things and people I know and love post things and I'm going, ooh, that did not sound nice at all. It's very commentary. It's very judgmental. But this is not to be the way with those who are a new creation people through baptism into Christ. We are called to live a new creation, new kingdom of God life. Life that is a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, says Paul just a little bit later in his letter to the Romans. Christ's righteousness, his divine, self-giving, reconciling life of love is given to us at baptism. Christ's own life becomes our life at baptism. And we're to fully live into that life. The life that became ours through the love of Christ shone forth from the cross. See, we remember the Old Testament reading from the book of Exodus. What God did for the Israelites at the Red Sea in today's Old Testament reading was a foreshadowing of the rescue that God fully made through Christ on the cross. The Israelites walked to freedom from slavery in Egypt when the waters of the Red Sea were sucked out. Yeah, we've kind of seen that, haven't we, with Irma? The waters of Tampa Bay were sucked out. And we question whether or not God could actually have divided the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk through on dry land. The Israelites were saved from slavery at the Lord's hand and we have been saved through baptism from the slavery of sin and eternal death. And in that Old Testament reading, we also heard that the presence of the Lord went with them externally in the pillar of fire and of cloud through the wilderness into the green pastures of the promised land. As we've been rescued through baptism from slavery, to sin and death. So also is the Lord with us, not externally as a pillar of cloud and fire, but in baptism, God's own divine self comes and dwells within us to be with us always through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to lead us on this pilgrimage through life, through the wilderness and into the green pastures. If you've been baptized, that's your life. That is even now your 
life. Live into it. If you have not been baptized, then talk to Father Cameron and myself after the service. Because that is the sure promise of Jesus, that in the waters of baptism, we die to an old life. And when we come up through the waters of baptism, we are raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says. If you've been baptized, then whether you live or die, says Paul, you are the Lord's. He died and rose for this very purpose so that he might be Lord of those who are alive and those who have died. This new creation, kingdom life, is ours because we are the Lord's. And it's to show forth in our lives where instead of building walls of condemnation and judgment, over non-essentials, we're to be bridge builders of love and reconciliation, which of course is the very character of God who lives within us. The very character of God is love and reconciliation because he first loved us. He moved to rescue us while we were still his enemies. He doesn't wait until we've got our lives in order. He says, come now as you are and you will be transformed into him. There's a story of two brothers. They'd had an argument years ago. Neither of them could really remember what the argument was about and they lived in adjoining farms. But they were at odds with each other and over the years the condemnation, the judgment, the hatred, the anger just increased amongst them. So one would dig a ditch between their their properties and the other one would put up a fence against it and eventually it got to the point where the other one dug an even deeper ditch and a wider ditch between their properties. And so the other brother thought, I'm going to build a really tall wall. And a carpenter came. And uh, so the brother said, I want you to build a really tall wall so that I can't see anything on the other side. I don't want to ever see my brother again. And so he went away. And when he came back, there was no wall. The carpenter had built a bridge. And coming to him over that bridge was his brother who said, how amazing of you to make the first step after all of these years and to forgive everything that I've done by building this bridge so that we can once again be reconciled. So that's what Jesus is talking about in the gospel quite clear if we don't forgive others then the Lord cannot forgive us because there's no space in our hearts to take in his love his reconciling love on the night before he died Jesus told his disciples that people would know that they are Jesus followers by the way they loved 
each other. This coming week, each of us will have the opportunity to build a wall of condemnation and judgment or a bridge of reconciliation and love. May people know we are Christians by our love, which is Christ's love in us. May people know and see that we have been transformed into the new life of Christ who dwells in us. And may he be honored always in our words and deeds. Amen.